Welcome to episode three in this series on awakening the chakras. Today we'll be covering the second chakra, the sacral chakra, Svadhisthana, the church of Smyrna, which is the color orange and located in the prostate in men or the uterus in women. Accordingly, this chakra very much somewhat blossoms when we hit puberty and new creative parts of ourselves open up. You know how teenagers commonly change during this time in their appearance? voice, character, personal preferences, well this is their sexual creative nature manifesting them into who they are or more precisely where their soul is at which is a sort of accumulation of karma and energy throughout their existence beyond this physical plane. As we talk about sexual energy in this episode, let's just be clear about something. There is no real difference between sexual energy and personal creative energy, okay? Understand and contemplate that they are ultimately the same thing. Our sexual primal intelligence, which is the sacral chakra, is really our most powerful, efficient and fastest form of intelligence and intuiting information quickly. You see, we have the intellectual center, the instinctive center, the emotional center, but we also have the sexual center, which is more powerful than all of them. Hence why we're able to be highly creative and artistic through this center. For example, we don't usually see people who are stereotypically dry intellectuals as creative people, right? Well, more on this later. And remember, this chakra is also located in the stomach region. Our stomach is essentially a thinking brain. Science has proven that there's around 500 million neurons in the stomach. Since this chakra is intimately tied to sexual energy and also mastering our emotions and astral projection, uh, this is where things start to get more interesting, okay? The root chakra was all about our physical material existence and how we get bound up in the circus of life. But this next chakra is where we begin to sense our divine forces at an instinctive level, in a more sensual way. We learn to harmoniously dance with God, so to speak. So this episode will probably be a bit longer than the others since I want to cover emotions, sexual energy, astral projection and dissolving the ego through transcendental psychology through meditation. So there's going to be a lot of information. If you ever need to come back to review certain parts, there's timestamps in the description as with all of these episodes. Um, I also got a new microphone, so I should sound clearer, especially when I'm demonstrating mantras, which there'll be many of. Uh, let me know if they sound better. Okay, so as I mentioned in the previous episode, if one is stuck at the root chakra, too concerned with their earthly life, it can be significantly difficult to sense or directly intuit spiritual reality. However, paradoxically, the sacral chakra is where we begin to start to get on the verge of sensing divinity by embracing our physical life, but not in a mechanical, unconscious way, in a transcendental way. We begin to feel something different in our lives, something otherly, something beyond all of the materiality and endless narratives of physical understanding. 
This chakra embraces our life by having the ability, having the power to fully harness our physical material existence in all its ways and forms, denying nothing, pure passion of life. As we've been exploring, it's necessary to do this, to love our life, have passion in our life, to be aligned intensely in a non-resistant way with our life. And we do this through balanced sensuality of this energy center. So this is also about mastering our physical senses too. Senses being sensual, okay? Now, of course, many spiritual systems specifically teach to renounce all sense pleasures, right? So how do we embrace life if we shouldn't embrace our senses? You know, our senses are the medium through which we experience reality. So there's a middle way of understanding all of this, which we'll explore here. You see, we have one side, one extreme that says sense pleasures are bad and society saying, enjoy all these sense pleasures without a care in the world, uh -huh. you know, consume everything and gratify yourself. The reality is neither side has the ability to master the senses. That's the crux of the teaching here. To master the senses, we don't want to get lost in this duality of good or bad, of acceptance or denial. We have to find the middle path. So similar to what I said about the root chakra being very basic and simple, that's also because the first chakra is the number one, which has significance here. Now, if we look at chakra number two, you'll know that the number two has strong connotations of duality, and thus this sacral chakra is defined by our full spectrum of dualistic human emotions. Drama, sadness, fear, confusion, anxiety, happiness, excitement, all have their respective opposites, right? One day you feel happy, the next you feel sad. It's these forces that we want to master. We are all, in some way, governed or controlled by our emotions, right? Our emotions are one of the most difficult things for us to deal with. Yet, we're only on the second chakra in this series, so do you see how enormous the spiritual path is? How deep awakening goes? And how much work needs to be done? And how much potential we have? Learning to master our emotions is like learning to become a powerful magician or something. Because this is something very challenging to do. To work against forces that arise within us isn't easy. And it's certainly not something we're used to doing. And society doesn't teach us how to do this at all. At best, we're given a therapist or worse, some medication to numb the balance or try and balance some hormones. Of course, such things can never treat issues at their root. So we saw how the root chakra gets conditioned, trapped and lost, right? Well, let's see how our sacral chakra gets imbalanced or more precisely how we as consciousness get trapped in this energy center. Now, as the root chakra was depicted as the element of earth, this chakra is the element of water. With that in mind, in order to understand this energy center in a different way, other than just intellectually, uh, I want you to visualize a large body of water, a deep lake, okay? It's perfectly placid, very still, not even one ripple. Now, you can do this more formally if you like. Take a few deep breaths, relax, close your eyes, allow your imagination to unfold and see a large lake in your mind's eye. This is exercising the third eye, okay, in a conscious way, okay? So 
Just allow your visualization process to unfold naturally. Don't control too much, just trust your mind to do this for you. Now ask the lake this question. What does peacefulness, serenity and calm look like? The lake looks still, quiet and perhaps there's sunny weather above, right? Beautiful. Everything is okay. We have clarity. We can hear ourselves think. There is peace, beauty, inspiration from this glistening, warm, turquoise lake. Now, keep that image of this lake in your imagination and let's contemplate the word emotion. The word emotion has its origins in the word agitation. Accordingly, let's begin to add some vibrations, some agitations of emotions to the water, okay? We may see this as some ripples happening as the water becomes agitated, okay? Because of emotion. Now, let your imagination run free with the thought of what would irritation look like represented in the lake? A state of being irritated. Okay, see it. What would happen? Now, what would disgust look like? Is the lake clean? How does it form? What does the environment around it look like? Okay, what does anger look like now? What about violent rage? What does the land around the water look like? Is the water hot? Is it steaming? evaporating, killing everything within it? What does depression look like? What does fear look like? Okay, so let everything settle. Now think of calm, balance, serenity, purity again, okay? Now, what does happiness look like in the lake? Perhaps there are swans, fish, lots of vegetation. Now, don't just think of happiness and calm, but imbue the lake with something more magical, transcendental. Imbue it with spiritual ascension on the level of that of Christ or Buddha. What would the lake look like now? Would the water rise into the air, perhaps form beautiful geometric patterns, creating a heavenly realm around you? A water city, maybe? How would the water feel when you touch it? How does it taste if you drink it? Okay, so we're playing around with emotions there. Were some emotions worse than others? Well, we're not saying that emotion is bad. It is part of our nature. We need the waters of emotion because it is a powerful body of water-like conductive intelligence. Remember that most of the physical body, according to science, is water. So we need this, which sort of powers our energy and creates a conduction, a conductive charge within us. And even the element of earth, our root chakra, needs water, right? Or else things become dry and desolate and things aren't able to conduct to connect. We even call certain people dry, right, when we feel they have no substance. So we have to contemplate deeply and ask ourselves, what kind of water do I have within? What kind of fluctuations does it make? 
What kind of water is nourishing my system? How does it taste? Do I find joy and pleasure in it? Or is it poisoning me? Is my way of being healing me? Don't answer intellectually to yourself. Learn to feel the answer energetically, directly. That's what this chakra is all about, learning to feel. Okay, as it says in the Bible, whosoever drinks from the waters of pure life shall never thirst again, meaning never become greedy or wanting or relying on external reality for spiritual nourishment. You become your own fountain of youth, fountain of life. And this is also the original symbolism of the ritual of baptism, which the intention is to purify our inner waters, our emotion, or on a deeper level, our sexual energy. So it's clear that if we want to progress spiritually, we need some form of purity and serenity imbued into our inner lake of emotion. And not just to have it calm, but to have more water and not just let it sit placidly in the lake, but have it electrified and have the power and the ability to move it and organize it in any way we need and not let external circumstances and situations determine the energy of our inner emotional lake. What happens when we let external reality unconsciously agitate our lake? We become imbalanced and can't fully embrace our senses, right? We drown in emotion and negative thoughts, unable to actually use our energies and use our senses directly in the present moment. This is such an important ability to have because our world is full of darkness. Just go and turn on the news right now. Are we going to let the deep limitations of this world freely determine our inner state? It's imperative that we break free from that. So this is similar to how Moses in the Bible had the ability to master and move the water. And as Swami Sivananda said, he who concentrates at this chakra, Svadhisthana, and meditates on Devata, God, has no fear of water. He has perfect control over the water element. He gets psychic powers, intuitional knowledge, and a perfect control over his senses. He has full knowledge of the astral entities, karma, lust, Krodha, anger, lobha, greed, moha, uh, covetousness or ignorance, mada, pride, matsarya, jealousy, and other impure qualities are completely annihilated. The yogi, the spiritual practitioner, becomes the conqueror of death. So this is all about mastering our emotions, but maybe you don't feel you have any emotions to master. Perhaps you feel your inner lake is dry, that you're somewhat depleted. It's a quite common concern that people say they struggle to connect emotionally. Uh, I get emails like that sometimes. Perhaps they're stuck in the root chakra or similar to what we visualize. They only connect to feelings of hot boiling anger or maybe playing with the emotional sexual waters so much that it becomes overused, overheated and evaporates and therefore that energy is not able to disperse throughout other centers of the body. 
Now, these concerns are usually more common in men than women. Of course, I'm just stereotyping, but in this generalization, we can see some expressions of imbalance in the sexes, about how men are obsessed with sex and thus commonly get stuck in the root chakra due to sexual addiction or other addictions, and they struggle to develop strong, intimate emotions Yet, they usually have a bit more clarity with their intellect due to not having distractions and confusions and inner turmoil that emotions usually come with. But since men aren't emotionally intelligent, a lot of them develop kind of insensitive or illogical reasonings, let's say. And for women, well, women are in a way naturally superior to men because they're usually less sexually obsessed and thus are actually able to use those energies and are able to naturally migrate to the sacral chakra in their womb more easily. However, there's so much emotion, it becomes difficult to deal with or control, often succumbing to emotional decisions that aren't necessarily logical, and the man is looking at his wife like, what is wrong with you, while she's stuffing her face with chocolate ice cream, you know. Uh, but overall, women are naturally, biologically, a bit more wired for emotional intelligence, which men can learn from. And of course, women can learn from having mental clarity out of the dimension of emotion. So this is just one example of how these polarities can balance each other in some situations. Now, of course, don't shoot me. Clearly, this is just an unfair stereotype and generalization of genders that obviously does not apply to everyone. Some men are over-emotional and some men are over-intellectual. But you can perhaps see some truth to what I just said in your own experience and try to contemplate, you know, where are you at? Okay? Now... In more simplistic terms, this chakra is really about enjoyment, and in order to enjoy ourselves deeply, we also need to release guilt. You know, what does guilt look like in our inner lake? It's constricting, right? There's a lack of expression. And what does it look like if we're holding on to pain from the past? Perhaps we've held a grudge against someone or hated someone for a long time. And what does it look like to let go of that pain? To have that release? What does it look like to forgive? I have an episode all about freeing yourself through forgiveness, if you want to listen to that. And interestingly, if you have dreams of water, this commonly symbolizes our emotional state of mind. Perhaps in the dream, the water is hot because of frustration in waking life, or it's muddy because of too much negative emotions, or maybe it's raining because of sadness. Clear water may indicate that you have spiritual clarity, that's a good dream. Maybe uh, flooding could be a sign of overwhelming emotions, or maybe walking on water means you've achieved some control over your emotions, just how Jesus famously walked on water. So, in reality, any skilled artist on this planet knows to some degree how to control their emotions in a way that expresses art, whether it's in the form of pain, love, suffering, beauty, 
because just as a composer of music is able to create elegant symphonies of sounds which generates different emotions within us, so too do other artists know how to express that emotion because they know the form those feelings take. Similar to how we visualized our inner lake taking different forms representing different emotions. This is also relevant for when we move on to the topic of astral projection, because in the astral plane, we're able to perceive much more information because of the emotional nature of the astral. Similar to the saying, a picture paints a thousand words, well, in the astral, uh, multidimensional planes of existence paint millions of words, all downloaded in seconds. So we'll get onto that in a little bit. Um, so to have this inner artist within us is not to be attached to only feelings of happiness or pleasantness that the world is always chasing after, but it's to notice, to be curious of, and consciously pay attention to all the spectrums of emotions that arise within us, no matter how dramatic, negative, or painful we may understand them. And so... How does Kundalini exactly help us emotionally? Remember that Kundalini is often symbolized as the element of fire, but it's not the type of fire that burns you unless you are living from a strong state of ego, right? Only the ego can feel pain. For example, the flames of anger burn us. They actually physically hurt us. It's known in many systems of uh, medicine and science that anger damages the liver and kidneys. So the flames of kundalini, on the other hand, gently purify our water, boiling out impurities. This is part of a constant work on ourselves, not just through spiritual practice, but really through understanding ourselves deeply. And so we need the fire of spiritual passion to aspire for transformation, just like the passion of Christ. Currently, and why most of us are also stuck in this chakra, is because the world is chasing after emotion as a sort of coping mechanism. We do this with the relationships, work, life goals, etc. This is basically what the whole modern society is doing, is it not? We buy things, we watch things in order to feel a particular emotion, and we become attached and cling to emotion. We try to hold on to certain sensations, we submerge ourselves in them, we develop addictions to them. So, and there's, you know, so many examples of this, how we abuse our emotional centers, binging music, TV, video games, sex, food. We lust for life and can't get enough of it. And we do this until we're burned out with depression and wait for ourselves to regenerate our waters again. Now, all of these activities are not bad per se, but the way we invest ourselves energetically can be harmful spiritually. So moderation is also important to consider. We rely on external reality to conjure up specific emotions that we are attached to. But remember, the element of water you know, you can't hold water in your hand. It's literally impossible to try to grasp at emotion and attach ourselves to it. So in a way, spirituality is all about being able to conjure up any emotion within our inner lake, no matter what the external reality is. 
how do we create forms in water like that? Well, like I said, this practice is sort of like becoming a magician. This is like spiritual magic. Uh, health problems in the kidneys, prostate and uterus could also signify imbalance in the sacral chakra. Uh, improving your diet or even fasting is particularly powerful for balancing this chakra, especially since it's located in the stomach region because there's usually a lot of overactivity here and giving it a break once in a while will do it wonders health-wise. Now, the last episode was about our physical existence and how to transcend it by gaining a higher perspective of life. But paradoxically, the sacral chakra is about embracing our physical existence. And so this is where the principle of knowledge becomes useful. We go into the world of sense pleasures with the knowledge that it is fleeting, temporary, and that you cannot find happiness in it. This allows you to partake in the world more fully and with more wisdom and mindfulness. Instead of being needy and clingy to it, we have knowledge and wisdom. And remember, as a foundation to this energy, it is at its base sexual. And the practice of sexual transmutation which hopefully you saw my episode about that, is not just about retaining semen or refraining from climax. It is those things, but what I'm trying to say here is similar to what I said in the root chakra episode about in order to transcend the imbalances of the root chakra, we have to aspire higher. And so, you know, I see a lot of people struggling with sexual transmutation or famously... Uh, distastefully called nofap, right? Well, a lot of them are saying they can't get over their lust or are overly addicted to porn and masturbation or chasing women, etc. When really a massive part of sexual transmutation is taking all of that lust, all of that passion, all of that sexual, primal, sensual force and applying it to life itself. You know, how many love pornography, right? It's a love, uh, an inferior, addictive, sexual love. Uh, and instead, we can apply this same sexual force to our life in healthier and organic ways. Going out into nature could be a good example. When you see the beauty of trees and animals, this can be a sexual thing. I know that might sound strange, but it's true. How else are we to intimately merge with nature and develop spiritual understanding? We have to learn how to be in love with it, just how we can get to know others or ourselves more authentically through love. We can too with reality itself. As we explored in the first episode, reality and the cosmos is sexual by nature. This is your nature. And the thing is, we've just skewed it with impure perspectives, that's all. Have you ever felt ecstasy in the midst of something greatly beautiful that's is not to do with the sexual act itself. Perhaps you listened to beautiful pieces of music, or you were walking in nature, or you saw a mind-blowing piece of art, or watched a very heart-touching movie. Well, that is you literally sort of making love through the sense of your direct experience. So similarly for the spiritual aspirants, even the sounds of birds suddenly make a deep symphony of sound and sensual innocent love within you. This is similar to the story of the Buddha too, about 
before he became enlightened, he was one of those yogis who denied everything. Uh, he starved himself and he completely denied all sense pleasures, extreme asceticism through extreme denial, self-denial. And then one day he was struggling, meditating under a tree and a woman came and gave him a fresh bowl of delicious milk rice pudding and he accepted. And by eating that and breaking his long fast, engaging in his senses, he became enlightened because he understood the subtle essence and joy of life and to be in balance with it in a non-attached way, which he was really only able to notice by fasting for so long. And so we can take from this that even though I'm saying we have to be engaged sensually, it is still one of the three inferior chakras and we have to be careful not to fall into primal addictive ways. We have to stay free from attachment and exercise moderation, always. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, those who are moderate in eating and recreation, balanced in work and regulated in sleep and remain awake, aware, will attain yoga, union with the divine, the destroyer of suffering. Remember also, you know, what is sexual energy? It is the raw form of creative energy. Sexual energy literally creates human beings. It is the creative force of creation itself. And so when we find creative outlets or apply our passion to our work, business, hobbies, relationships or other talents, we are also using our sexual, sensual, primal, sacral chakra, transmuting and manifesting that raw energy into creativity and manifestation. When we do this purposely, instead of being inferiorly sexually addicted, uh, we are being moderate, handling our inner lake with care and balance in a conscious way, in a more upright way. And many do this naturally, you know? You know people who seem to have no sexual desire but are obsessed with work. They work like 80 hours a week. In essence, they do have sexual drive, but it's been applied to other things. And they're able to have so much energy for that because truly sexual energy is an enormous reserve of energy within us. It's so big, in fact, that just physical exercise or being obsessed with work for 80 hours a week won't be enough you still probably won't be able to sleep at night. So for a spiritual practitioner, we can learn to relieve ourselves by directly transmuting our actual sexual essence at its root. And, you know, to not abuse this energy through climax is to literally endow yourself with even more of this energy in a very balanced way. And thus our spiritual path becomes more intense. Things like meditation, relationships, self-observation, creative hobbies, work, everything becomes more efficient because we have more energy, spiritual energy. You know, not just the energy that you get from food or breathing or going to sleep. This kind of energy is the raw, pranic, cosmic energy of the universe and it's in a completely other dimension of our being. And we can store this throughout our entire lives benefiting us not just in this physical life but also in our afterlife okay so our sexual organs are essentially factories of 
god atoms, which are symbolized by the fountain of Shiva's head spilling out out of his head instead of his groin, okay? All of this energy is retained and used for spiritual understanding and liberation. And the energy, instead of going downwards and outwards through our sexual organs, goes inwards and upwards up the spine, invigorating the brain, clearing out and healing blockages, purifying the spinal fluids with raw bioelectrical currents and stimulating the heavens of the head with the pituitary and the pineal glands. You know, feeling depleted, can't focus, lack of energy, can't connect to your emotions. Practice sexual transmutation. You will see massive results, especially if you are currently addicted to masturbation, pornography, or can't stop touching yourself like a baboon every time you see a beautiful person on the street. You know, just try it. You'll see how much more energy you have to experience happiness again. Not just intellectual happiness, like a delusion, but actual chemical happiness within you. You know, many men experience depression, right? Well, I will very much stand by, if all men practice this in the world, at least 70% of depression would be cured. Really, that's how powerful and life-changing it is. Sure, maybe science hasn't explored this a lot, but it will, maybe, in the future. And it is just such a simple solution, but we make it into such a big issue because of our addictions. And that's okay, of course. Uh, change comes with time, practice, and realization. It's all a journey. You know, it's one thing for me to say these things and another for you to understand it. So don't just blindly believe everything I'm saying. Practice. See for yourself and what you think about it. Gain this wisdom directly. It will empower your life in many ways. And remember, this is absolutely not about sexual repression at all. Repression is the complete opposite of our out-of-control sexual expressive society of today, right? We need balance between these two polarities. The solution is transmutation. It is the middle way. We don't deny, nor praise, or become obsessed with it. We harness it and embrace it wisely. Actually, it embraces sexuality more than ordinary sexuality by honouring it maturely. You know, what do we do in ordinary sexuality? We just play with ourselves or with our partner for five minutes and just focus on the end goal, right? That end goal literally short-circuiting our bodies. You can't deny that it is a short circuit. Notice it next time you're doing whatever business. You will feel all this wonderful energy, all this sexual love happening within you. You become strong and you have virility. And then it's like a nuclear plant with all this energy. It just suddenly switches off when it climaxes. The factory just shuts down. There's no power until it regenerates itself again. Now, don't worry if you're completely new to all this. I know these ideas are very out there for many if you haven't studied such things as Tantra before. Remember that these kinds of spiritual sexual teachings weren't usually revealed to students after years of spiritual practice. So work on your emotions first, meditation, get in touch with your own inner waters, okay? And just be mindful that these practices 
eventually down the line, if you decide to practice it, can give you a huge boost because it works with your emotional energy at a raw level and helps you save it. Watch my video on the principle of conserving energy to understand this. And of course, the sexual transmutation episode, along with all of the resources in the description there. There are some books for you to buy as well if you're really interested. So you see, in society, we have this really impure view of sex, this view that we have distorts our understanding of primal energy. And we even go to the point of labeling it as a negative thing. But this is the raw kundalini energy of the cosmos, of the Divine Mother. Instead of us playing with this energy lustfully and animalistically in the sacral chakra, it needs to be transmuted and raised higher into the heart and head chakras. When sexual energy is free from inferior thoughts, it is imbued with superior thoughts and emotions of admiration, appreciation, love, beauty, blissfulness, kindness, and all of these pure emotions. Then it opens the pathways of kundalini higher, and let me tell you, when this energy, instead of exploding downwards, is connected to our heart and head centers, we can be filled with so much happiness, ecstasy, light, and love that we've never felt before, and meditation suddenly becomes vibrant, deep, and full of spiritual understanding because our happiness doesn't just come from mental satisfaction, it comes from a deep connection with the body. Uh, okay, so let's talk about out-of-body experiences and how mastering this chakra is also synonymous with mastering astral projection. Now, if you have no idea what astral projection is, my entire channel has been dedicated to illuminating everything about it for the past year, including talking about some of my own experiences if you're interested. So browse my channel. Uh, I've put some resources in the description below, such as my first video on this channel, which I gave a little introduction to astral projection there. And I also gave a more in-depth two-hour lecture on the introduction to astral projection in another video and also perhaps see my video which explains the difference between lucid dreaming and astral projection. But to explain very briefly, astral projection is essentially the same as an out-of-body experience. So every time we go to sleep, consciousness leaves the body unconsciously, okay? And it goes into the world of dreams. Everyone dreams every night, but they just don't remember them. So why does consciousness enter dreams? Because consciousness is trapped in the world of the ego with all of its illusions, delusions and self-created fantasies. When we work on liberating ourselves, liberating our consciousness out of our delusions, then what happens at night? we begin to consciously travel into objective realities which exist beyond the physical plane, into the astral plane. This is a fifth dimensional space, hyperspace of nature, okay? This exists beyond our own perception, our own beliefs. And we know directly that these are not dreams because we can intuitively feel that we are not dreaming. So accordingly, practicing lucid dreaming as a first step is a great place to start to progress towards astral travel. 
I've also put a video in the description on how to lucid dream, okay? So what form does our consciousness take out of body while our physical body is sleeping in bed? We take the form of our astral body, which is a replica of our physical appearance. Furthermore, the astral body has been known for decades throughout esoteric and occult texts as the emotional body, hence the connection to this chakra. Actually, since this chakra is part of our creative emotional energy, developing this chakra is also to develop the astral body. It literally creates it with our primal creative energies that we retain and transmute and it becomes stronger the more stronger our presence becomes. The intensity of our center of gravity and the intensity and the growth of our integrity as an individual. So you may have heard of the silver cord, which astral projectors have famously seen while out of body, which keeps us connected to our physical world. Now, whether that cord actually visually exists or not, the significance is that it is most classically depicted as coming out of our umbilical region, meaning the location of our sacral chakra. So to astral project is to like be a baby again, exploring the womb of the cosmos in this feminine dimension, which is the astral plane beyond the veil of physical illusion. This aspect of the astral body being an emotional body becomes more understandable after several deep experiences while out of body in the astral plane, because everything really is emotion over there, to the way environments feel in terms of their level of consciousness and even down to communicating with other beings uh, that can be totally telepathic. This telepathy is felt rather than through the limitations of language and also you understand that in order to connect to different dimensions and different worlds or locations once you're out of body, you don't need a map or compass or to know the way to get somewhere as you do in the physical plane. Your emotions become your map and compass. If you want to fly to another city, then you will simply feel the emotional signature of that place and you will simply go there. Or if you want to go to more heavenly realms, such as the mental plane, the causal plane, things like that, then you can try meditating while out of body to raise your consciousness and see where that takes you. Uh, each planet in our solar system also has a very different feeling, by the way, and it's very easy to travel to those planets once you know how they feel. So what's interesting about practicing and aspiring towards astral projection is by coming out of body, we can explore our internal states of consciousness and how they look like right now. And we can learn about ourselves in really interesting and immersive ways. It's essentially like a virtual reality, right? And people are always asking or saying or debating is the universe a virtual hologram? Well, yes, it is when you are beginning because you have created a virtual world which is a part of your conditioning and how you understand the world and you have to break free from this veil of illusion to see what, you know, Buddhists call the great reality or the ultimate reality, right? 
objective reality beyond your own subjectivity. So, for example, if we're practicing astral projection, it's common to naturally have lucid dreams along the way, right? Your own virtual realities, your own personified virtual realities. And in these lucid dreams, we're able to notice what sort of attachments, traumas, resentments, and other various entangling egoic emotions that we have, which cause blockages in our lives. And we understand the need to move past these attachments because they exist as dreams, as hallucinations in our consciousness, stopping us from seeing reality more fully and leading us to a path of healing. You see, in order to astral travel, we need to not be hindered by such obscurities in our consciousness. And so lucid dreaming also becomes just as significant as astral projection. Of course, only when done for the purpose of spiritual progression and awakening. You know, the amount of times I've seen people who tell me um, they start remembering their dreams again and they're shocked when they realise that they're having so many dreams of a relationship that they had over 10 years ago and that they've not fully moved past or processed uh, that kind of trauma in their experience. Now, in terms of kundalini and astral projection, in those moments of a fully-fledged and genuine astral projection experience, kundalini is awakened in those moments. You may notice when you come back to body after an experience how your entire being feels amazing, life-affirming, just happy, because the healing energies of kundalini have been filling your body. So getting in touch with our astral emotional body is really a integral, innate part of our nature. Now, remember how we've been talking about in previous episodes that the ego is currently taking control of our chakras? Well, Here's why working on our ego is important when it comes to astral projection. If you're full of egoic thoughts and go to the astral, then you're more likely to be taken over by your animal instincts, and these might connect you to other realms unconsciously. You see how we've been talking about the intensity of how our emotions control us? Well, go into your astral body. Will it control you? or you control it. So this is about possessing ourselves and not being possessed by lower instincts. Now, as I mentioned, I've been dedicated to helping everyone realize our natural ability of astral travel for almost a year, hence the name of the channel, Astral Doorway to go into this sort of uh, chakra doorway and realize these abilities. So I won't go too in-depth about it here. If you're interested, just check out my episodes. Uh, I also published a book called Beyond Dreaming, which is available on Amazon. You can read the description and reviews there. If you're on the fence about the book, I also have a sort of preview to the book in the form of an article called Seven Tips for Astral Projection. You can find it at multidimensionaljournal.com. Uh, I wrote some experiences there too. Uh, someone also asked me if it's necessary to directly focus on achieving astral projection. 
I would say no, ultimately it's not. And in most cases, if you truly devote yourself to spiritual awakening, you will have these experiences naturally and spontaneously as a result of your efforts. But I also advise don't shy from astral projection. It's very fun and joyful, inspiring and interesting. The sense of freedom beyond your physical body is like nothing you've felt before. Take a leap, a step beyond humanity's understanding of science and, you know, go into this science yourself. It's pure liberation. Uh, and just be mindful, you know, if you have perhaps a subconscious dislike or closed-mindedness towards astral projection, then maybe you will never recall an experience because you've never trained yourself to even remember your dreams. Astral projection is simply another dimension of life to learn about. At the very least, be open to the idea of it. We spend a third of our lives totally unconscious and asleep. The very point of spiritual awakening is to be awake not asleep, right? Waking up every morning like you're hungover wondering what happened is not exactly the way of a true yogi. My personal advice is don't waste eight hours of your day to unconsciousness. Have that time to at least have a bit of practice, setting intentions to at least remember your dreams and the activities of your consciousness at night. I also have an episode teaching about how to remember your dreams. Uh, it also comes with a mantra that you can do in the morning as well. So, you can see how we're really exploring the nitty-gritty animal nature of our egos, right? So in order to overcome that, let's continue looking at the practices. Let's sort of resume where we left off with the practice section at the end of the last episode, where I showed you various ways you can meditate and balance the root chakra, okay? And I told you that you can do that simply by focusing on it, using some mantras, visualizing a red clockwise spinning wheel, or all of those things combined. And the mantra for transforming the root chakra is Okay, now the mantra for the sacral chakra is Okay, just M, the letter M. It's like the Om mantra, but it's just So simply focus on this chakra located above the lower back of the spine and submerge yourself into profound meditation. Imagine this chakra as an orange flower, a magnetic disc that spins clockwise while vocalizing the letter M. Keep in mind that this is our emotional connection to reality. You should also deepen your voice a little since we are trying to penetrate deeply here, okay? And keep your lips sealed and say the mantra until the last bit of your breath, like so. Mm. 
and continue and repeat. You may have noticed this is related to why we instinctively say mmm when our bellies enjoy the pleasure of the food we eat or also we do it during the sexual act too, right? Both are sense pleasures and this mantra is about balancing our worldly pleasures. Now, you may be wondering, how does this actually benefit me psychologically? And what about these negative egoic manifestations of these chakras? How will I overcome them? How will I change? Well, I'm going to give you another mantra, which is for destroying the ego. But first, the simple answer to all this really is the very act of awareness itself. The act of self-observation itself, which transforms us. Nothing else is ultimately needed. Of course, this is best understood when we practice this ourselves, not just day to day, but from moment to moment. You will live in a state where anything is worthy to be observed. Any thought, feeling, reaction, random perception of a daydream or anything. Everything should be noticed. And eventually, instinctively, all the dots come together energetically. Uh, so we should strive to live in a complete observation, like a lighthouse that never turns off. Uh, meditation is literally no different than turning on a torch within the darkness of ourselves. Right now, we do not know the depths of what is within us. We are ignorant. How can we begin to know what kind of people we are, what kind of mistakes we're making, or why we do not have spiritual understanding or spiritual abilities? How can we know all of that if we do not make the effort to self-observe and look within? It's only by looking within that we can begin to identify the things that we can improve on and bring it into the light of awareness to be burned in the flames of pure consciousness. Once awareness sees the darkness, it is no longer darkness. It can be as simple as that. Now, we can actually direct this awareness more precisely and intend to overcome certain parts of our egos, especially if we have more challenging parts, okay? So to do this, we can add a new element to our meditation practice. This can be added to any of the meditations, including the mantra practices, and this practice will specifically focus on disintegrating, dissolving, overcoming, or transcending the ego. Now, remember, ego is not one thing, but it is plural, many. It is wrong to say, I have an ego, but more accurate to say, I have many. The saying, I am legion, which is also in the Bible, refers to many, or precisely, an army of egos. Remember how many sins are there? How many deadly sins are taught? Okay? Seven. Now, of course, there's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, the sins, and it's not really effective to teach those actual words because they've sort of been overused for so long and we have a bad understanding. But really, originally, the seven sins was taught as a sort of synthesized science of this legion that we have within, each sin being a sort of a demon 
that governs a whole army of uh, psychology within us, okay? So don't underestimate the depths and complexity and multiplicity of the ego. Remember how infinite, complex, intelligent, powerful and truly beautiful divine consciousness is. And since we are currently overtaken mostly by darkness, by ego, then that ego has managed through thousands of years of our species and past lives to take over that immense light. According to Gnostic understanding, we are 97% ego. That's 97% ego and only 3% conscious, okay? That 3% conscious is our divine spark that we can learn to grow. So our consciousness is literally trapped in different egoic traits. This relates to the story of Aladdin and the genie and how Aladdin finds this treasure and the consciousness is trapped in there. And our consciousness can grant us any wish if we set him free, if we set the genie free. And so the ego is the opposite of all that divinity with all its ugliness, disharmony, suffering, struggling, but it is also intelligent and complex too. This is why it is so important to not just take up mere simple ideologies and philosophies and think that that will lead us to enlightenment. We must become intelligent and analytical, while also intuitive and perceptive. Because there are many traps, many implications of the psychological I, the ego, the one who calls itself me, me, me. I am this or I am that, okay? Remember that you are not all of this. You are not your thoughts in your head. Don't identify with them. You are observing awareness behind those thoughts. And if you're able to observe deeply enough, when one voice within you speaks and whispers into your ear, telling you to behave or react in a certain way through your impulses, there's a plethora of other voices speaking into that particular ego, and another ego behind that one, and more. So do you see what we're dealing with, and how self-ascension is such a profound thing? And how understanding ourselves psychologically is also to understand everyone else. Because we all have this very similar nature within us, this psychological nature of the ego. So we cannot transcend, we cannot ascend through the weak thought process of the mere intellect. The intellect struggles to multitask, it can only see one dimension of an ego. Uh, many people can't really multitask or do more than one thing at a time because they're stuck in the intellect. They've not realized the huge power of the mind. The intellect is only a small part of a vast capability of the mind. This is why it is essential to meditate. Meditation connects you to that higher intelligence of consciousness where you're able to see and comprehend intuitively many parts of yourself at the same time. Instead of analyzing each part like we would in conventional psychology, we literally see and comprehend all of the egos and how they relate to each other, all of those emotions. And we do this by gaining a higher perspective over them. We only don't see them when we're under them, meaning under 
control of them. So this is transcendental psychology or transcendental meditation. It is the way to know thyself, temet noske. Actually, if you practice on working on your egos, you may even have experiences during your sleep where you actually see how specific parts of you look like and what's your internal house, your inner state, or even perhaps your inner lake looks like. I've had various experiences like that uh, where I saw these characters because I've been meditating and I was able to intuitively and immediately sense and understand what they represented within myself. And these are often not beautiful or nice things, uh, ugly. But it is yourself and we need to face it, accept it and understand it if we want to grow from it. Nothing else is required of you. Once you are aware of something and have accepted it, then it will naturally dissolve if you really do not like it and recognise that it is negative and choose to change. We've only been inhabited by such psychological entities for so long because we were not aware of them. As Eckhart Tolle says, what you accept, you go beyond. And so we simply just keep practicing, growing, continuing our path, comprehending many things, but not judging, not identifying, not reacting. We simply persist and eventually life opens up for you. The magic of kundalini can begin to be felt. And so let me get on to how we can integrate this practice, this transcendental meditation formally into our daily lives and our practice while focusing on the chakras and kundalini. In basic meditation, or while you are using mantras, you can visualize, you can see, and try to identify particular egos to do with the specific chakra you are focusing on. Similar to what I said earlier, we must practice self-observation during the day in order to really identify our egos. It could be things to do with anger, lust, laziness, certain moods, overeating, etc. Essentially things that are causing psychological distress in our lives and that are clearly obstructing us from living a fuller and happier life. These things obviously inevitably stop the flow of kundalini. These are the blockages. This takes a lot of honesty to admit things about yourself though, and perhaps you're in a relationship, your partner has perhaps said things to you which are possibly true. Consider it. That's what intimate relationships are for, to be a powerful mirror for yourself psychologically. I made an episode about that too if you want to see it. So that's why most relationships don't last long term because most people can't deal with or aren't used to looking at themselves in a deeper way. So remember that happiness and blissfulness is our natural state. If you are not feeling that at all times, then ask yourself throughout the day, how am I feeling? What am I thinking? This is self-inquiry. And once you identify certain things you don't want to experience anymore, when you are meditating and perhaps using a mantra or just focusing on a particular chakra, see and conjure up memories and impressions of certain parts of yourself in your mind's eye, in your imagination. Those things you identify as something you don't want to experience anymore. 
don't judge or react, completely disidentify, and just observe yourself as if you were observing someone else. Simply watch and reflect on the behaviours, thoughts and feelings you had in those moments when you were out of control and perhaps felt possessed or controlled by something, some kind of impulse, negative impulse. And as you observe and learn about yourself through self-reflection, you can use the mantras I'm teaching you through these series as a way to dissolve, balance and disintegrate those psychological aspects. You can also visualise the element of fire disintegrating those parts of you, and not just in your mind's eye, but also as you're observing these scenes in your imagination. So as you do that, you will feel what parts of your body, what chakras they are related to. And as you do, you can feel a purifying fire burning within you in these parts, becoming balanced through understanding and observing and reflecting. These are the flames of transformation, of transmutation, purifying all of these negative energies within you through your own intent for self-healing and transformation. So this is very powerful. You'll find that if you have a particular ego that is very strong, a particular self-destructive behaviour that you've not been able to control for many years, that perhaps also hurts people around you, then try this practice. You will see that for at least three days, you will not see that psychological entity, that psychological energy or behaviour take over you anymore. You will feel how happy you are as a result that this egoic aspect is not manifesting in your life. You've literally freed up trapped energy and the happiness is a result of the loving embers of Kundalini being able to merge with you. Kundalini loves it when we work on ourselves psychologically. But if you're not devoted or uh, consistent and fall back into unconscious living, then of course that egoic aspect may manifest again. Sometimes some things can be transcended permanently, quite quickly, if the understanding or illumination during meditation is very easy and powerful. And at other times it can take days, weeks, months or even years in some particular cases. It all depends on what type of compulsion you're dealing with or what kind of addiction or behaviour you're working on. In any case, long-term devotion to meditation is what makes the difference, as long as we are making progress in any form, right? Uh, let me use an example of how the ego possesses us. Uh, we can see this in the sense of how many criminals in court will say a common thing to defend themselves and in a way they are innocent because of this. It could be criminals who did any sort of crime in a spontaneous act of rage. They will say in court, forgive me, I wasn't myself. And that's true in many cases. In those moments of whatever crime they committed, if they were suddenly in so much anger, so much jealousy or frustration with something, uh, you know, they literally could not control themselves in those moments. They were at the grip of the ego. And then after they committed whatever crime they did, they are sort of shocked, right? They look at themselves and say, oh God, what have I done? 
They don't know what they did or why, and they feel different afterwards because that particular ego, which wanted to do something, has now consumed whatever action it wanted to gratify. And once it did, it just goes away. That's until it gets hungry again. This is why consistency is important, so we can starve our negative habits and states of mind. So, you know, if you were visualizing a criminal who perhaps、uh, killed someone, it's a bit of an extreme example, but we can use this understanding of how the ego manifests quickly, acts through us, and then goes away、uh, in different aspects of our lives, right? So you can see why self-observation is needed. If we can objectively observe ourselves during the day, we can identify behaviors, actions, emotions, and triggers that make us feel in specific ways. And then, when we feel a particular behavior or emotion knocking at our psychological door, if we have enough self-possession and self-observation, we can simply peacefully say no and close that door, not letting it in anymore. To be able to control and master yourself like this is truly liberating. To have control over your own life and emotions, and be able to say things like, "I will not be depressed, lazy, anxious, or feel sorry for myself in any way today, and I am going to embrace this day and move forward into higher consciousness." So, to give another mantra and summarize and give you a feel for the daily general practice of working on your energy chakras and psychology, we find a private place. Perhaps light a candle, burn some incense, put some relaxing music on. Maybe stretch your body and sit comfortably,、uh, spine erect but not. Tense.、Uh, you can use back support and either cross your legs or put your feet on the ground and begin centering yourself, grounding and relaxing yourself into your body. And once you're relaxed, begin any kind of pranayama for maybe three to five minutes. Then go into meditation. You can devote some time to the simple act of awareness, perhaps observing your breath. Then, if you want to work on yourself psychologically, you can begin to use your imagination to recall something that happened in the day or the day before. Perhaps you came home from work and immediately had a big argument with your family. See yourself traveling home. How you felt. It's important to not label your emotions or talk intellectually. But actually, just sense the atmosphere of how your energy felt. Perhaps you were in a happy mood before you came home, but the issue was that you were attached to that mood. You know, one example. And as you continue reflecting, just simply observe the thoughts and feelings and try to see why or how you felt like that. Again, not thinking about it, but simply just watching. As if you are literally watching a movie in a cinema or theater, but of course this is more immersive because you can feel it. In a normal theater, we learn about the characters on the screen without the need for much intellectual analyzation, right? In the same way, we can watch the scenes from our own life as if it's a movie too, where you're the main character. You know, this is a common description of what happens when we die. We go through a life review. So to do this practice is very profound, because we're reviewing our life before death. So this is to die before we die.
this is how we get ready for death. Okay, so understand this character that you're seeing deeply and try to help it. And when you're ready and you feel you've understood what happened, start using a mantra. And you can also visualize fire transforming all of this inner psychology. So the specific mantra I'm teaching here from the Gnostic tradition is specifically for disintegrating parts of the ego once they've been identified. This mantra is called Krim. That's K-R-I-M. We pronounce this mantra while visualizing and feeling fires burning, dissolving those negative psychological parts of us. As usual, you can either do it vocally or mentally. In the last episode, I said it was good to do it vocally, but it's also effective to do it mentally, you know, because we can come to a more profound stillness and penetrate the mantra and our intents deeper into our unconscious mind. The mantra sounds like this. If you can't roll your R's, you don't have to. You can just say it like cream. Okay, so use the cream mantra if you want in order to really send energy, the intent of your energy to dissolve an egoic entity. But remember, Comprehending that ego is primary. If you have a negative aspect of yourself, this mantra won't just magically get rid of it for you. It could temporarily, but if you don't directly understand the nature of that ego deeply and why it manifests within you, then it's less likely to make a permanent transformation. Okay, so you have to combine it with self-knowledge. And as we continue learning about different mantras for each chakra, this practice will mature into a full body comprehension of our psychology and chakras. You'll be able to not just have one dimension of comprehending for self-understanding, but seven, one for each chakra, okay? Remember that these are energetic centers of intelligence within us. And once they're all combined, it's really powerful. So don't worry about remembering to do this particular practice too much if you're a bit overwhelmed at this point. I'll keep reminding you and guide you with tips on how you can integrate it in different ways and for the other chakras. And I'll be providing a really good practice for all of the chakras at the same time and other kind of mantras too. Um, I had a few questions as well about how long we should meditate uh, for beginners. It's best to start simply, okay? Using simple methods and work your way up, adding new elements as you go. Because, you know, I'm talking about a lot of uh, advanced practices here. So 
If you're totally new to meditation, just do a very simple pranayama breathing exercise. So just inhale five seconds, hold five seconds, exhale five seconds, and do simple meditation. Focus on the breath only. Do this for perhaps anywhere between five to 15 minutes a day to get used to this kind of inner concentration of awareness, this exercise of awareness that we're not usually used to doing. You can use a meditation timer. There's a good app for that. I'll leave links in the description below. And that's it. Over time, you can increase your concentration span. So maybe work up to 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Then you can also start to practice more advanced forms of pranayama and eventually introduce some chakra mantras such as and mm, and then also perhaps self-reflection and transcending the ego through self-comprehension using the mantra cream as well. Then you can also start to introduce practicing self-observation throughout the day. So not just when you commit 20 minutes to meditation, but from moment to moment all day. I made an episode called The Key of Sol, which is all about self-observation. Sol stands for subject, object, location. So splitting awareness into these three types at the same time. Perhaps check out that episode as well. And being present like this all day is very effective for astral projection too. See my episode called A Very Powerful Method for Astral Projection. So you see, through knowledge of different spiritual practices, we gain our own little inner toolbox of practices and use what we like in sensible ways. Don't take up things you can't handle all at once. Keep it simple and work yourself up. Simplicity is important. We need to maintain mental clarity, right? Perhaps on some days you just do simple meditation, another you focus on the chakras, another you focus on your ego, another you focus on lucid dreaming, etc. Okay, so uh, thank you to all the new Patreons as well who joined the group this week. We have a live voice chat discussion this Sunday. I always start it off with a guided meditation and then we'll go into a Q&A where we can look at all of this more deeply together if the questions are about this. So it should be interesting since a lot of you joined this week, which I'm excited and grateful about. So a shout out to Mary, RJ, Brock, Tina, Kanu, Nick, Philippe, Hani, Atharva, George, Eric, Arkis, they are all you, Frederick, Feed, Stephen, and Mark. I hope I said all of those right. Um, looking forward to chatting with you all in the group. Uh, if you're interested in joining too, just go to patreon.com forward slash astral doorway. Thank you everyone and see you on the next episode, which will be about the solar plexus chakra.